Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Carl. Good evening. My name is Carl, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Carl. Hi. I've been in program for 24 years, and um, I have 21 and a half years of continuous abstinence one day at a time. And the reason I had to hesitate is because I never remember. I usually go to my sponsor and ask him how much he has, and I know I'm 10 years behind him, and so that's how I know, because I don't think about it except one day at a time. That's been the way that uh, works for me. I can't think, well, my next away birthday is so-and-so, or uh, I'm whatever. That's, that's just not what works for me. I came into program because a woman who I used to binge with, who was my soulmate, who was my dear friend, came into program, lost 150 pounds, and guess what? I wasn't impressed. I didn't care. What I didn't like was that she wasn't as much fun anymore. We couldn't binge anymore. We couldn't sit around and eat gallons of ice cream and bags of potato chips and uh, go crazy with all the things that we went crazy with before. I didn't like the new her. And then one day we were sitting in her place eating dinner, and I saw a different person. I saw what we call a spiritual person. I saw a glint in her eye, a smile on her face. I saw a happiness that I didn't have. I had an empty inside, and she didn't. And I liked that. And I said, hmm, I'm going to try that thing. One year later, still had not been to my first meeting. One year later, she had been uh, transferred to Hawaii, and uh, I went over there to visit, and somehow I just let it slip that maybe we, you know, we go to a meeting. Well, needless to say, we went off to a meeting. For those of you that have never been to a meeting on a military base, it's very different than what we have here. Number one, the military is concerned with weight. So as alcoholics by judges many times are sentenced to go to AA meetings, uh, they tell people they have to go to OA meetings to lose the weight or they're going to be thrown out of the military. I didn't know that, but that's a meeting she went to, so we went. And I heard what I wanted, and I liked a lot, and I wrote my name and number. Of course, I changed the last digit. But of course, I was in Hawaii, and I mean, I was there on business. My disease took over every part of my body, um, and I came back to the mainland, and it still took me six or eight months to get to a meeting, because as good as it looked, it was scary. You know, people scared me, because it, mean it means I had to do a four-letter word. Now, when I was growing up, I was not allowed to use four-letter words. I'm 64 years old, so think about what 50, 55 years ago four-letter words were that we weren't allowed to use. Work was not one of them, but work is a four-letter word. And, you know, we don't do program. We work program. And so when I heard that, I said, uh-uh, I don't want to go someplace where I can do, take on more responsibilities. But they were responsibilities for me. And I didn't realize how good it could be until I got here, until I was willing. But, you know, it, it's true what they say. Until the student is ready, the teacher can be there banging their head against the wall. And I saw it, and I heard it, but I didn't want it until I wanted it. 
and then I wanted and I came in. And that was 24 years ago. So I came into program, and when I came in, I was general manager of the universe. I knew what to do, how to do, and I told you what to do and how to do, how to do it. And if you didn't do what I told you to do and how to do it, you weren't in my life. Needless to say, I did not have a lot of friends. There were not a lot of people that keep coming around being told what to do. And I didn't care if they were older, younger, more experienced. I didn't care who you were. I was telling you what to do. And so I came into program. And um, one of the things I found out is that I'm a compulsive fill-in-the-blank. I did it. My first addiction was food. My second was was working. I am a wor- I was a workaholic. I've done it with alcohol. I've done it with... Um, I can't even think of them anymore. Television watching, internet surfing, I've done it with cleaning my house. I will do anything to not have to deal with my life. I've done it, you know, I used to think I I was such a great friend because I would go out and help people and do things. Yeah, because as long as I'm helping you, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to deal with me. And that's so much easier, more fun. And also, I'm being of service. Mm -hmm. Woohoo! You know, and everyone knew they could count on me. And everyone knew that, you know, if you needed something done, Carl would be the one to jump in and do it. Well, that's great. And as I was doing it and helping them, I noticed, now that I look back, they were getting on with their lives. And I was still stuck in the same place. So I came into program and I heard all, all about everything that was going on. And being a compulsive fill-in-the-blank, you know, it's real hard to give up all the addictions at one time. Or any of them, ever. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I still want the good old days. That's part of the good old days. <laughs> what if I'm cute? Thank you. <laughs> it is. Right, I know. It's Mike's, I know. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, but yes, I want the good old days. I want to go back to those. They were fun. I wasn't the person I am today. Don't get me wrong, I like the person I am today. I really respect the person I am today. When I look in the mirror, I see the person there who I have a great deal of respect for. And before program, when I looked in the mirror, it was from the neck down. I grew a beard for the longest time. Why? You don't have to shave. If you don't have to shave, you don't look in the mirror. If you don't have to look in the mirror, I don't, I don't get to see the eyes looking back at me. It's a wonderful way of avoiding so I, I learned how to avoid things, and I didn't know I was doing it until I came here. Growing up, uh, I'm the middle child of a, of, a, of a middle class family, and everything you think you know about middle children, I'm the poster child. I have an older brother who thought, and maybe still thinks, I don't know, uh, that he's you know the prodigal son, and that his uh, doesn't stink. And, and that's fine. And over the years, I've learned to love him for it and respect him, and let him live his life. I have a younger sister who, like myself, is gay, and there have been literally chunks of seven years, and then another chunk of four years, that we weren't, I'm sorry, seven years and then ten years, that we would not speak to each other. We'd be in the same room and not speak to each other. And I learned here to love her, and to respect her for who she is. And today we have a relationship that the best way I can encapsulate it is that she lives in Oakland and I have to be in San Francisco next uh, Saturday for memorial service. And I called her and said, I'm going to be in town. She said, can we get together? What are you doing after the memorial service? What can we do together? And that's a miracle of this program. Because 
in my previous existence, I would have slammed the door on her and said, you know, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't need it. And I've learned to love and respect people for who they are and what they are. If you're not who I need and who I want, I, can, I still pray for you. I still want you in my life. But I know boundaries. <gasps> what a word, boundaries. <laughs> Never knew those before. Mine or anybody else's. And nor did I respect anybody else's or my own. Oh, I never set boundaries in my life, you know. I would describe myself as the world's largest piece of reusable toilet paper. People would shit on me and I'd go back and ask for more. Because I thought I was being of service. So, again, being this middle child, um, not getting well with my siblings, um, I really didn't grow up. I didn't grow up. I didn't get social skills. My brother was who he was, and, and, you know, he was the first grandchild on both sides of the family. Loved, revered, respected. He was bright, he was intelligent, he was charming, he was gregarious. I was none of those things. When I was in elementary school, people saw the last name, and they said, Oh, are you so-and-so's brother? Yes. And then they realized, Oh, I'm not him. And they didn't know how to deal with that. My parents, if you were to ask them, when they were alive, would tell you that they brought up their three children as three individuals. When you asked the three of us, we said, uh-uh, one pattern, three kids. There were no three patterns. So it, it, was, it was very hard for me. So I got here, and I would eat. I would steal food. Uh, the way our family dining room, I'm six foot, one half inch, and the next tallest person in my family is a good five inches shorter than I am. So growing up, especially in high school, when we sit around the dinner table, the, I had to sit on the end because my legs, I mean, you know, I have long legs and there was no, I couldn't sit facing anybody else because there was just not, not room for it. So, and what was behind me? Well, that was the garbage can where the leftovers went. What's Leftovers. You didn't finish, it came on my plate. Oh, give it to Carl, he'll eat it. Give it to Carl, he'll eat it. Give it to, and I did. And I did. And I ate. And unlike many of my contemporaries, I was not athletic. So I wore the food. Um, and that was living at home. Then I went off to college and dorm food. Well, not exactly the healthiest food in the world, but I got to pick and choose. And if I wanted two desserts, because I made friends with the people in the cafeteria, I would take two desserts, which we weren't allowed to have, but I could get two desserts. However, in college, I was very active in the theater, so I was always on the go. I was physically active. I, when I uh, graduated, I went, uh, I, when I was living in New York City, I was very active in Israeli folk dancing. I was dancing three and four nights a week. Well, if you know anything about it, any kind of dancing, you're moving. So whatever I ate, I burned off. Then I moved to Los Angeles, and they installed this thing on my right foot. It's called a gas pedal. You know, in, in New York City, you know, here we sell Stairmasters. In New York City, they sell subway tokens, or now the transit cards. I was walking all over the place. I would have to walk a mile and a half from my house to my job just because that was the best way to get there, and I did it twice a day. So I could eat anything I wanted. I moved here, I ate the same way, but I'm sitting in a car. And I wasn't going dancing. And I wasn't being active. So what happened? I gained the weight. And the more weight I gained, the more miserable I got. And I moved out here to be with someone who, after being here for four months, threw me out. Now, you talk about resentments. I left a job, I left a home, I left a city that I loved, and moved here, and four months later, I'm SOL. So, but you notice, I'm still here. And that was uh, 31 years ago. I'm still here. 
because something inside of me told me to make a go of it. Would I have found program if I moved back to New York? I don't know. Who knows what would have happened if. And you know what? I don't care. I don't think about it. I don't worry about it. Today I'm here, and I've learned to be here. This is where I am, right here, right now, at almost 6 o'clock on a Saturday night. What am I doing here? I don't worry about 8 o'clock tonight or 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon or Thursday of next week because I have to be here, because it's really easy for me to talk and have my mind someplace else, but then who knows what I'm going to be saying. So I came into program, and I learned that I knew nothing, which is kind of unnerving for the general manager of the universe. So I learned that I knew nothing, and one of the first things I heard was that I wasn't unique. Well, excuse me, I am unique. And But the second part of that is that we're not unique and nothing you're going through, someone in the rooms hasn't gone through already. So lean on us. And I thought, hmm, well, that's an interesting concept. And I had been in program for about a month, and my landlord told me I was being thrown out. And that was part of the agreement, that I could get 30 days notice and I could be out. I was house-sitting for somebody, and uh, my parents, may they rest in peace, said, why don't you buy a condo? At the time, I was working for a Fortune 100 company. And they said, you're making a good salary, blah, 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 blah. And no, no, no. My head said no. And then a little light went off and reminded me that I'm not that unique and someone has gone through it before. So I started calling people. And there was a fellow in program who has since, also since passed away. And I called him, and, and you'll, he literally slapped me up the side of the head on the phone and said, you know, the offer that I've been made, and what are you doing, and blah, blah, blah. And I've been in my condo for 32 years. I'm sorry, for, for uh, 24 years. I moved into the condo right after I came into program. And I've been there, and I love it, and it's the smartest move I've ever made. But I didn't make it. We made it. Any of my successes in life today is because I've been a member of this program. My father passed away shortly after I came into program. And um, as a gay man, uh, we did not have a good relationship, and it was because of my homosexuality. And we also didn't have a good relationship before that. When I added that, that did not help. And um, up to the very end, it was very difficult. But... He was my father, and I learned to love him. And the reason I'm the way I am is um, I was recently going through a file cabinet, and I was cleaning out stuff and just throwing stuff out, getting rid of part of the wreckage of my past, so to speak. But I knew not to throw out anything, because you never know what's there. And I came across an envelope, and I opened it up. And there was a letter from my father that I know I read because he refers to a check that's in there and the check's not there. And it was part of it was my college tuition. Hello, I graduated college 40 years ago. Had I remembered the contents of that letter, our relationship would have been very different. The man poured his heart out to me. The man told me how much he loved me. Which, if you would have asked me before I read the letter, I would say he never told me. And I grieve the person that I was to him. And I grieve that I didn't remember that letter. 
again, coming in being general manager of the universe, I knew it all, so I thought, who knows what I did. My father passed away right after I came into program. I've been doing a lot of writing to my father. I've been doing a lot of praying to my father. I've been doing a lot of talking to my father. And it's through doing that, I've been able to remain abstinent. Because when I read that, the first thing I wanted to do, because I've been in program, was to call my sponsor. Because I knew I couldn't keep it inside. You know, there's a saying in the For Today book, you know how that we're compulsive people versus non-compulsive people, because when the car breaks down, they call AAA, we call suicide prevention. (laughs) My car was stolen from right out in front of my house. I was cooking dinner at the time. And I called suicide prevention. I mean, I literally called my sponsor. I said, you're never going to believe what happened. He said, what? I said, well, I was making dinner. Now, hello, this is not really important at this point, but that was the first thing I thought. I was making dinner, and, oh, by the way, my car has been stolen. And we talked about it. And you know what? I had an absolute deal, dinner. And I called the police, and I did the things that we think would happen in a perfect world, that we would hope we, as people that are in recovery, would do, or that we think that non-addicted people do. And that's what I did. And when I looked back at it, I said, I don't believe I did that. And so I said, but how did I know to do that? Well, I knew to do that because I kept coming around and listening to you guys. When my father passed away, I I went to uh, Florida where he lived and did the funeral and did our Jewish rituals. And uh, that was one of the times my sister was not talking to me. And I was Mr. Hips looking cool. I had just gotten into program and I avoided my binge foods. And, you know, my mother, God bless her. She would always say, what diet are you on? And I always thought she was making fun of me. And, and what she was really saying is, I love you. How can I support you? It took me a while to get to that. But thank God I got to realize it while she was still alive and acknowledge that and, and be grateful for it. But... Um, So I was going through this with my sister. I'm going through this with my family, who I really didn't like at the time, and blah, 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 blah. And I was abstaining. Ain't I cool? Ain't I great? Came back to Los Angeles and broke my abstinence. And I said, how can I do that? How could I have broken my abstinence? How did I do that? And I was reminded that of the three-legged stool we talk about, physical, emotional, and spiritual, I was working physical didn't work on my spiritual and my emotional plan, didn't pray to God, didn't work the program, just abstained. Well, my friends, I'm living proof that if all you do is abstain, if all you do is follow your food plan, you're setting yourself up. I set myself up. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe some people can do it. I couldn't do it. I needed to work my spiritual and my emotional program. My mother lived for twenty over 20 years beyond my father. I was very close to my mother. I was very dedicated to my mother. My mother died. My soulmate died. The woman who brought me into program, who I was closer to than anyone I've ever been with. And I made it through absently. At one point, it meant yelling at God. Not about the death. I've never yelled at God about someone dying. What I yelled about was that I couldn't abstain anymore. I'm having trouble. Help me. It was never that God was bad. I don't, I don't believe God has ever done anything to me, against me, or gotten in my way. I think I've gotten in my way. I think I've not been appropriate. I think I've not done the right thing. And I say, how can I work a better spiritual program? I've lost jobs. I've lost parents. I've lost soulmates. I've lost lovers. I've, 
I've lost a lot of things. I've also gained a lot of things. I've gotten new jobs. I've gotten new friends. I've gotten a new way of life. I learned here how to be a son. I learned here how to be, how to be a good worker. How to be a, a good employee. I didn't know. You mean I'm not supposed to, you know, make personal phone calls on the boss's time? You mean I'm supposed to take an hour and a half for lunch, even though I'm, I'm not supposed to? Yeah. I thought, well, everybody does it. And the biggest lesson I learned is that my name is Carl. My name isn't everybody. And I have to live a life that supports me. It doesn't support me to take more than an hour for lunch. It doesn't support me to make personal phone calls on the boss's time. It doesn't support me to come in late or leave early unless I tell someone, unless I'm responsible. As I'm responsible for my food and my program, and I talk to my sponsor, I'm responsible to those people that care about me. And that's my, my boss cares about me. They care about me. They care that I'm performing for the company. They care that I'm performing for myself. So I learned that here. So how did I learn it? Well, first of all, is I kept coming to meetings. No matter what, I just kept coming. I shouldn't say that, because there was a time when I, when I broke my abstinence. Uh, the last time that I broke my abstinence after my dad died, I wouldn't go to a meeting. I, you couldn't find me in a meeting for no love nor money. And I would get up every morning and say to myself, today is the day I'm going to abstain. I know how to do this. And I would go to work. And in order to get from where I sat to the candy machine in the break room, I got to walk past a fellow OA's office. She was a director. I was a manager. I could go in there anytime, close the door, and we could talk about anything, which we did many times. But I never availed myself of the program. I'm talking to her about program. I went in there and got the candy. But every morning I'd get up and do that. Every morning I'd get up and do that. Until one morning when I got up and did that, and I said that, I would say it out loud. A voice said, no, you're not. At the time, the only thing I lived with were two cats. And that was my higher power talking to me. It still took me a week. That was on a Wednesday. I said, okay, if I'm not going to do it today, when am I going to do it? I said, okay, I'm going to do it on... It was August 1st. And I walked into a meeting on August 1st because I had made that commitment. I, I learned to become accountable here. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. That's why people say, can I ask you a favor? I said, you can ask. I don't guarantee it, but I have to know what it is before I say yes or no. You know? Will you do something for me? I don't know. What is it? So many people say yes, and they say, oh, no, I don't want to. Or they say, oh, I said yes. Or no. I mean what I say. I say what I mean. So I listened to you guys, and, and you taught me how you are fellows in the world, in all areas of your lives. And so I incorporated the ones that I liked in my life. I met my sponsor at that meeting on August 1st. I've been very blessed. We've been together for 23 years. How the man puts up with me is beyond me. I think I'm going to nominate him for sainthood when I'm done with him. But right now he's got to stay. He's got to hang around. The saints are only dead people. So, you know, he's got to stay around. If God forbid he dies, we'll deal with it then. But that's in the future. And today's today. And today I'm very blessed to have my sponsor, to have my OA friends, and to be willing, no matter what, to come to a meeting and to listen to you people and to talk to people and, and to uh, ask what's going on and to hear. And so I still work the program. And, and, uh, and because of my work schedule and where I live, I get up at 4 a.m. Because that's what I need to do so that I can have from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. for me and my higher power. I get up. I am to like... To, to put on a robe, it feel, I feel wrapped in God's presence that way. 
I put on a robe, I sit in a chair, and right next to that chair, 24-7, 365, are my four books that I read. Three of them are programmed. I read the four, the four today on reflection and 24 hours a day. And then there is a daily meditation book that I read from my, my Jewish heritage. And one of the things I learned here was that it's okay not to be a good student. And I'm not a good student, never was, hated school, didn't like to study, still don't. So I learned that the way I have to get it is I read each page twice. Because you know what? The second time I read it, I go, that word wasn't there 30 seconds ago when I read it. Yeah, it was. But I wasn't there. So I read each page twice. And then I have a kitchen timer, because I live by the kitchen timers, because I'm an addict. I will do anything ad infinitum. I will just keep going and going. And so I use a kitchen timer to, to set for 10 minutes of prayer. And I talk to God, and I pray for myself, and I pray for those who may be ill, and I pray for, the, for the, things and the things that I want for those who I have a grudge against. And I pray for the health of people that may have, be having a hard time. And I express gratitude. I start out by saying, God, thank you for my life. I'm awake. You know, I don't take that for granted, that I woke up. And I don't take for granted that I had the ability to get out of bed and to function. And then when that timer goes off, I set another timer. I set the same timer for another ten minutes. And I meditate. And if I just sit there and do nothing else but sit there in the silence, it gives me ten minutes of not shutting this off for ten minutes. Because if it tries to go someplace, I I bring it back. I focus on my breathing. I'll focus on one or two words. Calming words. Thank you. Then I abstain. I'm a very boring eater. I eat the same thing for breakfast and lunch five days a week. And that's fine. And you know why? Because it works for me. It nurtures my soul. It nurtures my body. And I'm fine with that. And that way I don't have to decide about it. I have to think about it. I know what works for me in my food plan. And I eat it. I abstain from foods that I can't eat like a gentleman. Something that, if I'm just thinking about the next time I'm going to have that food, get it out. Sometimes I can bring it back, sometimes I can't. But I, I consider myself very blessed for the life I have today. I consider myself thoroughly blessed to be a member of this fellowship, and I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful that I found it, and that I'm willing to participate in it. And um, I'd really like to open it up for questions. So thanks for letting me share. I have just a few minutes. But Anybody have any questions? Please. Okay, so the question is, how do I take care of myself emotionally? Number one, I make sure that I know when I'm having an emotion, when I'm having a feeling. Because a lot of times, I get a feeling in my stomach. Okay? So, I don't know about you guys, but there's a feeling down there. I'm hungry. First thing I do is I look at the clock. Second thing I do is, when was the last time I ate, and was that meal appropriate for that time? So if it's 12.30, and my stomach is growling, and I had my usual breakfast at, oh, dark early, because I eat, I eat breakfast at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I go, okay, I'm not hungry. That's an emotion. I'm interpreting it as hunger, but it's a feeling. So what I do is I deal with it. I say, okay, what's going on? Am I mad at something that's going on in the office? So I think about wh- where I am, what's going on, what is causing that feeling down there that 
is not necessarily hunger. It's another emotion. Fear, anger, frustration. Any other questions? Holy. Please. I was wondering what you have for lunch. What <laughs> 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 I mean, every day, and I love that idea, but what is it? <laughs> it's very for me it suits me I take a I don't even know what the ounces is but it's that size can sorry people on the podcast have no idea I guess that's six ounce or eight ounce can of tuna fish packed in water I mix it with safflower mayonnaise because I'm lactose intolerant so I can't eat eggs they, they don't sit well with me I also have high cholesterol so I avoid the eggs and I have a piece of fruit and a diet soda, and that's my lunch. And that will sustain me to dinner. And in case you're curious, my breakfast five days a week is a bowl of oatmeal. Thank you. Yes, I can. And the question is, can I talk about sponsoring others? When I first came into program, someone asked me to sponsor them, and I didn't think I could, and I went to my sponsor, and he says, if you've got one more day of absence than they do, why not? So... Um, And when I came in, my sponsor at the time, his sponsor, had less time than he did. But his his sponsor at the time had what he wanted. And so he worked with that person. Um, When I sponsor people, I sponsor them the way I was sponsored, which is uh, working on the food and with the food, uh, being responsible and respectful of the food, and working the steps. I'm a firm believer in the steps. Uh, to me, if you're not spending time every day working the steps, if you're not spending time being enmeshed and engulfed in the steps, uh, you're missing a wonderful tool. It's just a blessing that we have these guides that guide us through every aspect of our life. And, and uh, so I work with people on that. Uh, I ask my sponsees to call every day. Uh, we usually get Monday through Friday, weekends, are because of all of our schedules. But I also try to see my sponsees at least once a week so that I can touch base. I like to see them face on face just because that's the kind of person I am. And uh, that's about it. But that's how I work with people. Is there anything I still struggle with and what would that be? Life? <laughs> Specifically. Yeah, I, I, I still struggle with... Uh, people and personality sometimes. I still want people to do it my way. And um, I realize that when I'm very fortunate that I realize I'm doing that, and when that happens, I can say, whoa, back up. And I can call my sponsor. I can write about it. I can call fellow people. I'm going, yeah, 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 this one, this one, this one, this one. And, you know, like uh, before I call somebody about it, I say to my head, I go, wait a minute. Listen to you. And, and so I, I, you know, I struggle with that. I still struggle with scheduling sometimes. I overschedule myself and uh, will be all over the place. And the problem with overscheduling myself is that I haven't left time for God. And that's the thing uh, that bothers me. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, I just found some more some new character defects. So I'm working six and seven uh, with my sponsor on those. And uh, to me, that's not a struggle. That's a blessing because better I should find it and, and deal with it than, than to let it sit there and fester. Thanks for the question. How do I deal with my negative self-talk? That is such a great question because it's what I dealt with for the longest time. 
uh, and still do in some respects. My sponsor told me years ago that I was not allowed to beat myself up anymore. You know, I'd call him and say, I'm a fill-in-the-blank, explosive, explosive. He says, you know what? You don't get to beat yourself up anymore. You want to get beat up? Call me. I'll do it for you. I know how to do it. So, whenever I want to go there, I say, I'm going to call my sponsor. And, oh, do I really want to say that to him? Okay, fine. So, that's one thing. The other thing is, I've made a commitment to myself that if I think something negative of myself, that's okay, as long as the next thought out of my mind is something positive about myself. So, I screwed up this project at work. I got to work on time. I'm healthy. I, I've been of service to people. I did this negative. What's a positive? Because we, uh, my experience of, uh, of addicts, of people in these programs, is that we tend to go to the negative. We will think about the pebble that's in the shoe that we're wearing and complain about it and write tree, uh, thousands of pages about the pebble in the shoe. Instead of being grateful that we have feet, we have shoes, and heck, we can take the shoe off and take the pebble out. You know, we will go on and on and on about the negative and not offsetting it. Is there a positive? So, now, sometimes the negative is a negative. You know, death of someone, loss of a job. What's the positive? I'm still alive. I get to remember them. I get to go for another job. Something will happen. You know, it doesn't always be equal, but I need to put it in perspective. I, I need to have the balance, the yin and the yang. I, I need to make sure that I don't get lost in the just the negative. Thanks for asking. Yes. Very carefully and very... I'm sorry, the question was, how, how do I work step seven? Very carefully and very slowly. Um, it's very hard for me to be humble. And the way my sponsor and I have done it, uh, I've done it both the OA and the AA, uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, is I read a paragraph a day. And the first time, uh, after, when I was done writing the paragraphs, oh, I'm sorry, I read a paragraph a day and write what that paragraph means to me. And then at the end of the step, I read the whole thing to him. And there are some great insights in there. Uh, then, uh, right now, I just did it where I write a paragraph and I read it to him every single day. Man, talk about keeping up on your writing. You know, when you have to call your sponsor every day and say, this is what I wrote, or not what I wrote. Um, and then what I found is that if I take one of my meditations, if there's something going on, if I'm having a problem with a person, an institution, a character defect, if something's really right in my face, I will spend the morning meditation that I do in the morning just really thinking about it. What could I do? Okay, God, help me with this one. And just think about it. And just keep turning it over. And when I don't know how else to turn it over, I will write it down on a piece of paper and turn over the piece of paper. I will just turn it over. And then it reminds me how simple that is. Just turning it over. And what's on the other side? Oh, a blank sheet of paper. I get to start again. I get to start creating it anew. Thanks for asking. Time's up. See me after the meeting, please. Please do. I, I, I'm willing to hang around. Thanks for letting me share.